2001, September 11th, nearly, nearly 3,000 people were killed when four planes were hijacked. Over 6,000 people were injured. And the nation that had once been spoken of as being united was clearly at a crossroads of making a decision of what would be. The most horrific terrorist act in world history happened that day here on American soil. Most of us know exactly where we were at that moment, where you heard the news, turned on the TV, wherever it was. And some of you here have connections relationally with people who were affected personally from that whole scenario that happened that day. Man, today's a country we're fragmented politically for sure. Ethnically, oftentimes we just get weird hanging on to crazy stuff. Can we just take a minute, just, just a minute today and pray? And just ask God's mercy on our country. Can, can we do that this morning as we remember this moment? Why don't you grab a hand to somebody who's next to you? Father, this morning we come and we, um, Lord, we just pray for your mercy over our nation. God, as we, um, as we take this moment to remember a time that was a pretty crazy time, God, that just reflects our crazy, desperate need for you. Lord, I pray right now that you would have mercy, Lord, on our nation. And that somehow, God, this moment would be a launch pad for some sort of a catalytic decision to move forward together to work in unity instead of be pulled apart because of a diversity. So God, would you have your way today? We need you a bunch, Jesus. Our world needs you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that. Hey, listen, I'm really glad you're with us today. If uh, you don't know who I am, my name's Lance. I'm a lead pastor here. I love our church. You love your church? Oh, that's awesome. Listen, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, like I said, welcome home. It was back in 1985 when I was 18 years old. I I went to uh, my first day of practice at Central Washington University to play football. I got there, and you know, the first days of practice, they kind of have these weird, they, they poke and prod and measure and pinch and see how much you can lift and how fast you can run and how high you can jump. And with all of that information, they take you and they put you on a depth chart uh, that's in the position that you're trying out for on the team. Well, I was trying out for right tackle, and I, I remember on the depth chart, I can't remember, I was either fourth or fifth on the depth chart out of four or five guys. <laughs> right? I was the last guy. I mean, I'm the youngest guy. And, and I show up there thinking to myself, like, all right, I'll just, I'll just do what I can do, right? And so I remember thinking, listen, if I'm here, I'm just going to go for it. So I, I remember buckling down and getting my playbook and sitting in that thing. And man, during, during football camp, I remember reading it over and over again at night. You know, we would have time to go back to our dorms. I remember practicing plays in the hallway and, 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 and talking with older players and what to do and how to do. And before I knew it, I went from fourth or fifth on the depth chart to third. I was like third on the depth chart. And I was thinking, wow, I, I don't know how that happened. But I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm here. Now, one thing about college football that's interesting, it's different than high school football, is in high school football, I was, well, a really big fish in a really small pond, all right? So in college, there's just a lot of really big fish, right? And all I knew was is there, these big fish were there, right? And here's one thing I learned in college football that I didn't really have to think about much in high school because I was bigger than everybody, but was this, is that in, in football, every play comes down to really two things. You're either a hitter or a hittee. Right? So in football, you're either delivering the blow or you're taking it. 
right? It's all I knew. And all I knew was it hurt less to deliver the blow, right? So I just made a decision that I was going to just be a hitter because hitty was not fun, right? So the next thing I know, I went into the depth chart and looked at it. I was number two on the depth chart. We had just one week before our first, our first game against Linfield College. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm one twisted ankle away from getting out on that football field, man. So I got even more into the books. I'm trying to figure out what to do. Well, about two or three days before the game, my coach pulled me aside. And he said, Lance, I got to tell you something. The guy who was ahead of you, uh, we found out that he's academically ineligible and he's out for the season. You're up. I was number one on the depth chart as a freshman starter at Central Washington University. I was geeked out, nervous to say the least, just excited. Oh, man, you know it. Everything about it was God was getting ready to go play my first game of college football. You know, it's interesting that every one of us comes to the place in our life where we have a goal, an aspiration, a desire, a passion. And once met, acquired, seen, oftentimes we get to that place and we, we kind of put it in park or we kind of set it in neutral and we say like, hey, I did it. But that's the beginning of the season. That's when things began, not when things were accomplished. You know, today we take a moment to cast vision for the next 52 weeks. But it's on the heels of tying up what we did last week of our last 52 weeks of a year vision that God had given us from last year. Our theme for last year, make room, right? We spent all time last year, uh, every sermon, every class, every outreach, all came back to how will it fit in the context of making room in our ministry where God was calling us to. And we believe that God has given us a real clear vision for this year as well. I love it. Many of you are familiar with the passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 29. That says, without vision, people die, right? Without vision, people perish. I love how the Message Bible puts it. It says this. It says, if people can't see what God's doing, they stumble all over themselves, right? Another translation might say, when you don't know what God's doing, then you just start making stuff up, right? And that's kind of what happens in church, when people come to church and they don't know where we're going, they don't know what God's saying, then oftentimes we're kind of left to our own devices to stumble all over ourselves and try to figure out what we're doing. So why would we take a week, a year? Why, why would we try to establish clarity in our vision for a church? Because I believe the opposite of that verse is actually true as well. That where there is vision, where there is clarity, when you do know what God's doing, you don't stumble all over yourself. But you walk in confidence. You walk deliberately you understand what's going to happen next, and you move boldly into that season. See, that's what I believe God's given us as a, as a, as a vision for this next year, is a clarity as to where it is we're going as a church. And, and let me tell you this, if you're here and this is your church home, I would tell you, man, I'm so glad you're here. There, there are some things that you're going to hear this morning that you're going to say, how did he know that? Right? How do I know that? I know that because, not because I'm some super spiritual guy. I can tell you this. Here's the reason why I know that is because God speaks to his people. And God's been speaking to some of you, and you're going to hear today something that'll sound to you like, he's been telling me that very thing. You should hear how many times over the last few services people came up and said, God's been speaking that very word to me up to this point. How did that happen? I said, because this is your church. This is what God's calling us to. Let's move out and allow God to show you that. So as we, as we embark on this journey today, will you join me as we pray? God, thank you for an opportunity to hear your vision, to hear what you have to say, to hear where you're leading us as a church. God, we need you a ton. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission of Puget Sound Christian Center, you hear me say this often, 
And I can't say it enough because I want you to understand what our mission is, why we exist as a church, why God put us here on the planet for such a time as this. Our mission is, is simple, is to send loved, mended, and trained people out. Right? Our heart's desire is that you'll come in and you'll find the hope of Jesus and you'll, you'll understand in the brokenness of your life that you'll get loved and mended and find Jesus and hope and healing. And you'll get trained up so that you can be sent out. Sent out where? Well, well sent out to your workplace. Maybe sent home to your spouse or your children. Maybe even sent to your roommate or your teacher. I don't know where. Maybe even some of you will be sent across a really large body of water on a really big airplane. I don't know, some, some of you are going to be, after this year, some of you are going to be called and sent into full-time missions. Some of you will even be called to plant churches. I know there's church planters sitting here in our midst, and there's somebody, God's going to wake up and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm the one who's supposed to be sent from here. And you watch God begin to wake that up in you. This season of time, I'm telling you, I'm so excited for what God's doing and what he's been speaking and how he will be speaking into all of our lives to send loved, mended, and trained people out. Listen, this, this mission... It'll affect everything we do. It'll affect every penny we spend, every class we teach. We believe so, so strongly in our mission. I'd even be so bold as to tell you this. If this isn't the mission God's called you to, tell me, please, so I can help you find the church that you fit the mission of. Because if this is the church that God's called you to, then unpack your stuff and get ready. Somebody say amen. Because this is what God's calling us to, and there's a lot of things that God wants to do in this season of time. We just finished up this last week, I said, in our theme from last year, which was two words, make room, right? There, there we had what we called our make room mandate. There are five things, five areas of growth that God was really calling us to make room in. Make room in our relationship to God, make room in relationship to others, make room for the lost, make room for growth, make room for generosity. All five of these areas were places we felt God telling us to make room in as we moved forward this last year. Well, it's just so, it's so important that you understand where we've been because I think in this next season, the theme for this next year is really a building block off of that. It's a building block off of make room because this year's theme is two words as well. Your move, your move. We believe this year your move is the building block off of make room. In other words, we felt like God was telling us to make room in our relationship to God. Now it's your move to go out where the water's a little deeper in your, your relationship to him. We ask God to make, we ask you to make room in your lives for, for growth. And now we're asking you to, to take the growth that you've learned. And, and it's your move now to take out what you've been receiving, that you've made room for growth. Now to put feet to that thing and walk out with the information that you've garnered. We ask you to make room for the lost and some of you made room for the lost in your heart, and that's beginning to grow in you. Now I'm telling you, it's your move. Now, now go out further and, and, and learn to love even more that thing that God which is in love with. We decided to make room for relationships, and relationships are awesome. And so many of you saw broken relationships get yielded and restored. Well, now it's time in your move to move out beyond the boundaries of what you called familiar. And maybe God wants you to establish or build relationships that you've never known before. And I've got to take you. It's your move. Today is, a point of, today is a point of understanding our mission so that you can make a decision on how you'll respond. We may not know exactly how God's going to move us, but we do know that he's calling us to today as an, as an altar of decision in how you'll move from this point forward. Listen about your move. Your move is a call to faith. It's a call to step out in faith. 
not just faith that you've talked about or faith that you say you have or faith that you say you want to have, but it's actually putting feet to the faith that you say you have. Your move is allowing God to embolden or empower your life, not just so that you can be emboldened and empowered in sitting, but that you would be emboldened and empowered to move out. Remember, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit weeks ago. And we talked about the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't just so that we could sit back and say, yay, I can speak in tongues. The point of being baptized in the Holy Spirit was to be filled with power. To do what? To go. To go love on people who are around you, who, who God calls your neighbor. It's your move. It's your move. I believe this year your move is a call to growing in love with God's word. I mean, growing in love with the Bible like never before. This year, putting feet to your faith, deepening your trust, and strengthening your love for God's word is a passion that I want to see happen. If you have your Bibles, in fact, open them up to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. As you're opening your Bibles, I want you to point out to this. Uh, this little card here, right? Many of you picked these up last week, and if you didn't last week, pick it up this week. This is a card. It's just a, a list of scriptures, of, of devotional scriptures that you can read. Now, now, I had somebody, most of you know that I prepare a preaching calendar for the year, right? So 52 weeks, what we're going to be preaching on. And, and I asked that, um, I, I had a couple sit down with me, and they went through all the scriptures that I'm going to be using, some of which will show up, most of which are on here. These are the scriptures that I'm going to be preaching through over this next 52 weeks. And, and naturally, there will be others that will be added to it just because I know me. And, and I'm tell, but I can tell you this. Um, I ask you to open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, right? If you were with us last week and you've been reading devotionally, you would have been reading in Numbers, thinking like, why am I reading in Numbers if Lance is opening up to Joshua? Because Numbers was laying the foundation for Joshua. Remember Numbers yesterday when the devotional talked about Moses saying, well, who will, who will you pick if I'm going to die to take over the nation and run it? He says, Joshua was the guy, and you would have been building the foundation upon the sermon that I'm preaching just today. Man, this next 52 weeks is going to be all about, if you can devotionally be here. Now, in the back, is there's a method on how to do it, right? You can just read the scriptures and do your own journaling. Do that, man. Knock yourself out. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to give you, a give you a method that I use. It's called Lexio Divina. It's actually Latin for divine reading or reading divine. It's just a method, and you can read on here how to do it. If you drop your card, you lose it, you don't know where it is, just go online to pscc.net, and you can actually pull it all up there. The scriptures are cut and pasted in there. You can do it all there. But listen, I want us all to join together, reading the same passages, preaching the same stuff. Why is that so important to me? Because the Bible says where there's unity, God releases blessing. Right? And plus, I want to invoke one thing really important, peer pressure. Come on. I think peer pressure is from Jesus, and the devil stole it. Right? I want people to say, hey, did you read yesterday? Did you read it? And you're going to go, uh-uh. And then tomorrow you go, I'm going to read now. You know, I want that, right? What's the worst that could happen? You just get encouraged to read your Bible? So you could stand up, make them feel bad next week. Just kidding. The book of Joshua. Book of Joshua. Book of Joshua is a book of decisions. It's a book about decisions. Will I sit down or will I stand up? Will I cross the river or will I stay put? Will I step out in faith or will I res res reside here and stay put in the desert? The book of Joshua is, a, is really kind of a, a story of Jesus and how Jesus came to, to take us out of slavery and bondage and bring us into a land of promise and hope. It's really this Old Testament version of a New Testament truth. And as you read the book of Joshua, you're going to see over and over again that Joshua kind of stands as a picture of Jesus. 
of the Old Testament. It's, it's beautiful as you begin to read that and you'll see the fights and the battles and the struggles. It's just like you and I growing up into our land of maturity as we move into our land of promise. It's like growing up spiritually and realizing there are giants in the land that you have to fight to find out your growth points. And, and, and it's the same thing. It's a beautiful picture. But Joshua stands right here. Uh, the, the background of this story is, is literally the, the book. 40 years before this moment, there were, uh, I don't know, a million people or so that left Egypt and they came out into the desert to be set free from bondage and slavery in Egypt. You, you remember the movie, right? right? You remember that, right? So in the Exodus as they came out, Moses was going to lead them into the land of promise. Because they didn't believe God could fight the battle for them on the other side in the promised land, God said that you'll stay here in the desert for 40 years until your entire generation dies. Only your children will be able to cross this raging river into the land of promise. This is the time. This is the moment. This is where Joshua gets handed the keys and says, listen, you get to lead this whole entire group of people now, around 2 million people, into a land of promise. Joshua, your decision, your call. You get to take them into the land of promise. The same land of promise that was promised to your parents. The same land of promise that was, was, was promised to the 12 guys that went in to spy out the land and came back with a report that said, there's a lot of really good stuff over there and some giants. They came back with a report that caused doubt so much that an entire generation didn't make it in. Sometimes I wonder if that's exactly what's like in our generation today, that there are people who are sitting around saying, there's giants. God's not big enough. But where will the Joshua stand up? Where will the Joshua stand up in the middle of a culture that says it's impossible, that the Joshua's will stand up and say, no, 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 no. My God will still win the battles. Where's the Joshua's that will stand up and say, it's my turn, it's my move, and I'll move out. See, what if that's what God's calling you to, to be the Joshua's today? What if God's you calling you to say, listen, it's your move, your decision. Joshua literally stands at the banks of a flooding Jordan River that stood between him and the promised land. And on the back beside him, he stood at the border of a desert that literally bordered Egypt, the land of poverty and slavery and bondage. And he stands between these two decisions, move forward through a raging flood that's way over my head and I can't do, or regress backwards and remain in bondage and slavery. See, some of you find yourself at that same decision point today. Will I move forward into the insurmountable obstacle that I have to get past so that I can find freedom and peace and maturity? Or will I stay here and potentially run back to bondage and slavery in Egypt? For some of you, it's a, maybe it's an addiction. And you're saying to yourself, I'm at this place in life where I can move forward to freedom or stay here in bondage. To some of you, it's a relationship. To some of you, it's a, it's a decision of a job or the selling of a house. And you're at that decision point of saying, will I move forward in something that seems ridiculous? But it's your move. Oh, I regress back into the place of bondage, slavery. Joshua chapter 1 says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, now my servant Moses is dead. You must lead my people across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Everywhere you go, you will be on the land that I've given you. From the Negev Desert in the south to the Lebanon Mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River on the east to the Mediterranean Sea on the west. And all of the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand their ground against you as long as you live. 
For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will lead my people to possess the land that I swore to give their ancestors. Be strong and very courageous. Obey all the laws that Moses gave you. Don't turn away from them, and you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of the law continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you'll be sure to obey all that's written in it. Only then will you succeed. I command you be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's funny, Joshua stands here, gets this prime directive from God to move forward, this prime directive from God to take the land that he's going to be with him. They can be strong and courageous as long as he studies the book of the law. All these things God tells him. And then, and then down in verse 16, it's funny, because the people respond. The, the people respond to Joshua. Here's what they say in verse 16. It says, And they answered Joshua, We will do whatever you command us. We'll go wherever you go or wherever you send us. And this is verse 17, the most encouraging verse in the Bible. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. Right? Awesome. Awesome. Imagine Joshua's like, okay, look. You can obey me any way but that way. All right? There's a reason you're here for 40 years because you didn't obey. All right? So here's the thing. How about you obey me the way you're supposed to obey me, not the way you obey Moses? Anyway, kind of funny. So get this. Moses is dead, right? Moses, the, the keys have been handed. Moses was like the voice of God to the people. Right? So Moses literally is now, he, he, He's gone, and he hands it over to Joshua. Now Joshua's like, okay, I'm going to hear from God on your behalf. How about that for pressure, right? Joshua's job now is to take them into this land of promise that their forefathers didn't go to. I love what it says. Joshua gets confronted by God in this one little moment. It says in verse 2, I love this. Oftentimes I tell you to read your Bibles a little slower, right? This is what it says in verse 2. It says, now my servant Moses is dead. You must lead my people across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. It says three little words there. You must lead. You must lead. In the Hebrew, that little three-word phrase is actually one word. The word is in Hebrew is kum, kum. It literally means this. It means to, get this, stand up, become hostile, be powerful, proven, and persistent. He says to Joshua, listen, Joshua, I'm calling you to lead these people. But it wasn't just like, all right, I guess I'll just strap on my leadership clipboard. He said, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, stand up and be aggressive. Stand up and be hostile. Stand up and take by force this land that I am giving you. He says, don't just stand there and say, yeah, you know, it's a raging river. I don't know how we're going to cross it. So God, I don't know, make it stop. He doesn't do that. He says, listen, you just take by force what it is that I'm giving you or remain here in the desert, shriveled up and dying right on the boundaries of slavery and bondage. He says, Joshua, lead my people. Take by force. Stand up with aggression. I love that because this, 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 this passion that raises up within him, that he literally he has this decision to, to sit passively or move out actively. It truly is a call to faith. This, this your move moment, God was saying to him, Josh, listen, it's your move. You make the decision to move forward or you make the decision to stay put. But two million people are going to follow your decision. Hmm. It's amazing to me how God always seems to wait for the most um, 
improbable moment to call us to places of faith. Right? Why does God always do that? Like, why does he wait till the, the river's at flood stage? And why does he wait till the desert's the hottest before he says, I don't know, why don't you go ahead and move out? Like, why don't we wait till like the desert was just, or the, the water was just a trickling river and it was raining in the desert to say, hey, you want to move out? Like, why does God wait until your finances are at the very least before he says, now give? Why does it seem like you are at a moment in your life when you're like, man, my job is going so good, everything's so great, and then he whispers and says, it's time to leave. Why, why does he do those moments when everything seems to be going so well in, 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 in whatever it is you got going, and God says, it's time now to sell the house. In those moments, you're just like, come on, God, why now? Why does God wait until the most inopportune moments to call us to places in faith? You know, you know why, right? Because if, if he called us to times when everything was super easy like it was supposed to, we wouldn't step out. We'd all, he, let me tell you this. You don't need a miracle until you need a miracle. All right? You don't need Jesus until you need Jesus. It's funny because that inflection, you understand, right? I need Jesus. Right? When you get that moment, when you need him, you need him. Let me tell you this. You need him. Every one of us is at that place where we have to decide, will we ford the water or will we stay on this side and die? It's your move. It's our decision to move forward. Some of us right now, let me tell you this. Some of us have been so used to having a Moses in our life. You know, the Moseses of life, right? The ones that Moses was the voice of God. Moses was, this is, we're going to stop. We're going to stay. We're going to hear from God. God says this. God says, Moses was the deliverer of the law. They heard from God through Moses. Moses is dead. Some of you have a Moses in your life that is no longer with you. I'm talking to Moses, right? I'm talking to Moses. Maybe your Moses is, maybe your Moses is your job because your job has been that decider of whether or not you should step in faith areas or not. Maybe your Moses has been that friend or your husband or your whatever it is. Maybe your Moses has been your children. And that's the decider of whether I can or I can't. You'd never put it that way, but maybe your Moses, the thing that helps you decide whether or not you hear from God, maybe your Moses has been your bank account. And whether or not your bank account says God's good or God's not good is the determining factor. And today God's saying, enough of that. Moses is gone from your life. Trust me. Your move. See, you're at a season of life. I really believe that this is a polarizing, a polarizing moment in our church. Will we move forward and will we walk into that which seems absolutely improbable? Or will we sit back and say, ah, I'm just going to stay here until I wait for the next thing to come because I just don't know. We just get freaked out. Or will we say, listen, God, you are enough. And it is my move. My Moses is in here and I can't trust in that any longer. You know, I, I often think sometimes that we don't move out because of fear. We don't move out because of unbelief. There's all kinds of reasons we don't. But some of you today are at a place in your life of a decision that you're having to make. And you're wondering how on earth that I got the same sermon that you've been hearing in your heart all this time. is because God brought you here for such a time as this. This is a moment of decision that God has for you to take. Every one of us. And my decision, listen, some of you are having to decide today whether you're going to be the hitter or the hittee. Some of you have been being hit a lot. You've been being punched a lot. You've been being thrown around like a rag doll. And right now God's saying to you, enough. It's time for you to be the hitter. And you take violently by force. You stand up what it is that God's been saying and move into the land of promise that he has for each and every one of us. I'm not talking about 
I'm not talking about an easy journey. I'm talking about a battle of walking through a raging torrent of a river, perhaps, and once you step in, watch God do something. But I'm also talking about battling a bunch of giants on the other side that God would help you fight. Oh, it'll cost you something. You know, it'll cost you everything. It's either that or sit here in the desert and shrivel up and die right on the border of bondage and slavery. I move into that because you're going to be the hitter instead of the hitty. I believe this season we're heading into, we're going to see the book of Acts come alive again. I think there's going to be a moment where the book of Acts, where people were filled with the Holy Spirit, where, where people's lives were changed, and somebody stands up to preach, and thousands of people surrender their lives to Jesus in that moment. I believe we're going to lay hands on people, and they're going to get healed. Get this, this is crazy. Uh, this uh, last week, just this last week here in your church, a young a gal came into our office, and she said, hey, uh, just got the reports back from our doctor. I've been told I have cancer on my lungs. And so uh, I'm heading off to go to the doctor to get my report, find out what the procedures are going to be or whatever the method of uh, prescription is going to be for the action they're going to take for the lung, the lung cancer. And so um, I said, you know what? In my heart, I thought, you know what? We're praying. I just felt like this urgency inside of me, almost this aggression, like, listen, enough of this. This is not your thing. I don't know what it was. And so I said to her, I said, hey, listen, we use, can we pray for you? She goes, well, sure. And so I, I called in my office. I said, every one of you come out of your offices. So they all come out of their offices and they're all like, what? You know, and I said, we're praying right now. So aggressively, man, we just pray, Jesus, heal this woman now. Come on, just come. Because that's what the Bible says to do. Yes, today I got a report, you know, or yesterday the report, you know what the report was? Cancer's gone. What if that was God's prescribed plan for a lot of us? What if that was the plan is that all of us would stand up and say, enough is enough. That we stand up and say, look, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, in my finances. I'm going to trust you with my career. I'm going to trust you in this area. And I'm stepping out because I'm tired of letting the, the, the hits come at me. I mean, you know, why we lay our hands on that woman? It wasn't our job to heal her. It was God's job to heal her. Now, what if he didn't heal her? You know what? God's still God. But I'll never stop praying. And I don't know, man, there's something that's waking up in me. And I want to pray for people that way. What about you? You know why? Because it's your move. It's your move. What happens if the book of Acts comes alive again? What happens if it's not just something we hear over in third world nations, that God's moving in really crazy places and, well, I don't know, people are raising from the dead. Why not in Tacoma? Amen. What if that's what God's waking up in the heart of your move and God brought you here for this? Mm. What will keep you from your move? Fear? Yeah, it could be fear of man, maybe fear of the unknown, maybe fear of the known, unwillingness. Maybe you're set in your ways, and you're like, I don't know, that's how I do it. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'd rather just go to church, hear a good word, and move on. Man, if that's the church you're going to, you pick the wrong one. Unbelief, maybe unbelief. If that's the case, man, I'm telling you what, hang on tight, because I want to show you that God's still faithful. I want to show you that God still raises the dead and fixes the broken and brings sight to the blind. This year, I believe our church is going to continue to grow numerically. I, I know, man, I'm telling you, we're going to grow spiritually, but I know he's going to grow numerically. Our council is even talking about how to expand areas of parking. I mean, we're, we're talking about what, how to prepare for what God's going to be doing in advance. Our forerunners ministry, those who are 60 years in play, I'm telling you what, that ministry is coming alive and you watch and see when that Caleb culture takes hold and by force what it is that God's calling them to do. Tell you what, you're going to have to run to keep up with a bunch of people who've walked the planet a little longer than some of you. 
and you watch and see if they believe Jesus. Our life groups are going to be the backbone of our ministry. And people, if you're not involved in a life group, you will be involved in a life group. Why? Because it's so important that you're involved in relationship. You heard Heather say it when she came up here, that, that relationships, we believe, are the, really, the, the, the place at which life transformation takes place is when you're in the context of relationship. Our discipleship courses, our doctrine, our finances, our foundations of faith courses, all of those things are going to continue to be taught and grown. But not just taught so that we can gain information and walk out and get the plaque and say, hey, I did the course. There's going to be such a, a, a dynamic expectation behind each course that's taken by saying, now what? Now what will you do? I mean, we could talk to a finance class and say, here's what you should do with your money and say, this is how you do, this is what God would say, and then walk away and say, good luck. But what if we were to say, hey, look, now what will you do with your money? What's the next step in that process? And we begin to have an expectation that's more than that, or that, that we trust God together as a church. Our Halloween outreach will be bigger than ever before. Holiday hope, my hope is that there becomes more refined and personal and that we're not just writing checks, but we're getting involved in the lives of people who, who are in need of stuff. And it's not just us handing out do-gooder badges, but we're able to say, listen, we want to come alongside and care for families. What happens if our simple love campaign is more than just buying socks and underwear for foster families, but really caring and, 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 and coming alongside in deeper ways even than we, can, than we can with just writing checks for that? You watch God see a move be made. But every one of us stands at a decision-making moment of how we'll respond to this vision. That, that, that weekend, we went out to our game, Linfield College. Went back to the huddle, and as I'm standing in the huddle, Matt, our quarterback, he, he, he gets back there and he calls the play. He's like, trips right, brown, 18, smash, on one, on one. I'm like, ready, break. And so we all go running up to the line of scrimmage, and as we're up there, the center, he actually calls out the defense and my guard next to me. He calls out the play that he and I are going to do to try to block this tackle and this linebacker, and he says to me, Mig, Mig, Mig. He's yelling and screaming and all that business. And I'm standing there waiting, and Matt gets behind the center, and he's just like, Mike, blue 42. He starts calling out the cadence, blue 42, right? And I'm thinking like, I'm scared. Like, I don't know what to do, right? I'm freaked out. All this stuff is going on in one big moment, right? Next thing I know, the ball gets snapped and all I see is this red and purple blur past me. I turn around and I'm like, I've never seen a human run so fast. I think that was my guy. I was supposed to block him. I turn around and I see that blue and or that red and purple guy on top of my quarterback on the ground. Matt's helmet now sideways. Right? Now listen, there's something that happens when you're an offensive lineman and your quarterback gets sacked, you have one of two choices. You go back to the huddle and you um you either apologize profusely, gosh, I'm so sorry, I shoulda, I won't next time, forgive me. You do that, or you just act like it was someone else's fault. Right? That was my method. I did not want to maintain eye contact. I was just going to put my head down and wait for the next play. So I'm like, go ahead, Matt, call the next play. And I get back to the huddle, and, and, and Matt, I can tell, straightened his helmet out. And he goes, uh, uh, he goes uh, Lance, Lance. And I'm like, oh, no, he's talking to me. Look up at me. He goes, hey, 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 hey. Are you going to play the game today, or are you just going to stand there? Every one of us is in that same decision point today. Every one of you come to church today, my question for you is, are you going to play the game or are you just going to stand there? The play's going to happen. The world is moving on. God's calling you as a church to make your move. Or will you just stand there 
and watch the play go around you. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we say, God, would you have your way? Lord, every one of us stands at that same, that same decision-making moment of looking over across this raging torrent of a flooding river of whether or not we can ever get past that thing and at our back a decision to see that there's a desert right on the borders of bondage and slavery. God, every one of us has a decision-making moment of what we will do. Will we believe you or will we stay put? I pray this morning that every person here would see within their hearts that God has called you here for such a time as this. And God has called every one of you here today to make a decision to simply make a decision. So right now, I don't know what the decisions are gonna be. I don't know if it's to sell your house, to quit the job, to start the job. I don't know what it is, but you're gonna come to the crossroads of a decision. My prayer for you this morning is that you'll be at a point where you'll say, I'll stand and take this by force because I'm making my move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your move. It's funny, after both services, I've had more people come up to me and ask me what I'd do on the second play. <laughs> I actually played. I did good. It was fun. Yeah, it was over. Whatever. Uh, he didn't sack the quarterback anymore. Um, I let him know I was there. That's awesome. Listen, why don't you stand to your feet? Hope you have a great afternoon. God bless you. Be encouraged. Know how much Jesus loves the Seahawks and hates the Raiders. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you leave.